With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Antigua. Armenia. Australia. Belgium. Brazil. Chechnya. Hungary. Ireland. Japan. Latvia. Mexico. Nigeria. Philippines, Russia, Slovenia, South Africa, United States. Greetings, netizens around the world. The plan is once again listening to the technology show for Generation E. McWilliams Cyberline coming at you via the internet, coast to coast, by satellite and podcast. And yes, he screwed up the script. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is McWilliams and Politech is our business. Video Bob is with me, hopefully. Oh, hold on. Uh-oh. Can you uh, hear me now? Yes, I have <laughs> taken the switch off temporarily. Okay, so a couple of things we got to tell you about. First off, uh, for those of you who tuned in late, we have lost our Dallas affiliate, KBDT, here on 11, uh, it was 11.60 a.m. And at uh, 2, a eh, little after 2 a.m. Uh, local time, uh, it went off. And Charlie Joe's and I were the last voices to be heard. And so that uh, got sold. Another group is handling it. It's my understanding going to go brokered Vietnamese. Good luck to them all. And so we're getting used to the studios uh, minus KBDT. So it might be a little bump and hit tonight. Uh, I'm not feeling too well. Got a little bit of a back spasm going on. So you're probably going to hear a little wincing in between. That'll be fine. And then, of course, uh, Bob is in a different area of the rooms doing his stuff. And so we're going to just try to do the best we can with the two hours we have. Yep. I'm on the other side of the window this time. Right. Oh, and I have to say, before the uh, record people get nasty, this is the show for 4 June 2022, and it is uh, record number 2223-1. So now we got that out of the way. So, Bob, what do you got on the queue? Oh, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's see. Which one? How about New York State passes first right to repair law? Yay. Yay. About time we saw something there. But I thought we'd have, um, we've seen that before. Other states have already done that, have they not? Or is this the first one? Um, I think there was a couple others that did. 
They're just you said this in New York, right? Yeah, that's New York. So they're they're the first ones, at least, to get that one out the door. Well, the bureaucracy there, you know, they're slow. You know, you mentioned some Star Trek news tonight, which is very cool. I can't wait to hear that. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that a little bit. Um, I mentioned the date of the show for mm. four June twenty twenty two, and it was forty years ago today that Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan premiered in theaters. And at that time uh, was the best Star Trek, well, it's considered one of the best Star Trek movie ever, but it started to be getting that uh, legend yeah, and opening up in the theaters after the dismal mixed disappointment of Star Trek The Motion Picture some three years before. No, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I, I watched the, I was not a fan of the very first movie. I was like, okay, let's see what they do in the second one. And I'm telling you what, that one was like, oh my gosh, it was fantastic because they really did a good job, especially the characters in there bringing that to life. Yeah, and I remember seeing the first one and of course everybody had been waiting. There had been talk for years about it. They talked about it being a TV show. And they were going to have the Paramount Network, guys. Huh? That sound familiar? And then somewhere along the way, this thing called Star Wars came out. Mm -hmm. And it just rocked the box office. And it had started, what, 36 theaters nationwide. It went to the Oscars, won awards, but mostly for technical. They didn't get any best actors or anything. And then Paramount looked around and said, dude, we got to have something that can compete with this. This, this is a big to-do. And somebody said, well, we have this little thing in the vault. Used, uh, we used to have on TV called Star Trek. And at that time, it was 78, and the copyright was supposed to expire on it. And at the last minute, Paramount renewed the copyright and then changed the TV show totally over, had to redo the models and everything, and ended up being a movie. Yeah. And, of course, December of 1979, you got Star Trek The Motion Picture. And it was great to see that come out. It was yep. it was really good. It was like everybody went to it because a lot of us were still Trekkies. And we were watching this from uh, in reruns. And it was oh, yeah. just, you know, it was one of the great shows uh, back then. And, you know, they'd done such a good job on the sets. They'd done such a good job on the storylines. And everybody was very, yeah, a lot of Trekkies back then as well. Yep. And the models, a lot of the guys that worked, uh, John Dykstra and the others from ILM that helped create the models for Star Wars, ended up creating the uh, the new Enterprise refit and all of the other models, the Klingons and, and everything else. But the problem was everybody went and it made money because, hey, it's a Star Trek movie and now we get to see them all again. And they come out of the theater going, what the hell was that? <laughs> And it was such mixed. And then it almost looked like, well, been there, done that. Move along. Right. And I didn't even know, of course, there was no internet back then, but there was still these shows like Entertainment Tonight and whatever that people did movie reviews and you start hearing about things coming out. And the only reason I knew that Star Trek II was out was I saw it in the paper looking to go see a movie. And there was an ad for it that says, you know, starts Friday. Uh -huh. And had all of the theaters listed. And I'm like, what? They made a second movie? Holy crap. I got to go <laughs> see this. And I went and saw it and everybody else did it. It was fantastic. They got it right. The people were not as animated as they were in the in the first one. Mm -hmm. And not as cerebral. And it had good action. And it was, you know, the, the ships were kind of like based on the old run silent, run deep submarine movies of the 40s and 50s. And they did it great. Sadly, Spock had to die. 
Yeah, but and there was a bunch of stuff about that. He wanted to die. That yeah. was part of his deal. Yeah, and he wanted then out. He was also in the show itself. He was, um, you know, going back and forth. Should I die? Should I not? Should I die? Should I not? But it was his requirement <laughs> to uh, to do that movie. And the funny thing is, I I think I remember Shatner talked him out of it because they had done it, and Nicholas Meyer had had written, you know, how he wanted him to die. Uh huh. And, he, and I think Shatner had talked to him out and said, dude, really? Do you really want to leave this? I mean, think of the money. And so they figured out, okay, we're going to kill him, but now we're going to bring him back. And, of course, right. that gave a whole trilogy with two other movies. And then what was The Voyage Home, the third one, Nimoy got to direct. Uh, Voyage Home was the fourth one. Oh, the fourth one. Yeah. Was that, okay, Search uh, that for was, Spock. That the was, third yeah. one was Search for Spock. Yeah, and then he comes back in that, and then he gets to direct Voyage Home and kind of completes out the trilogy and he had a big to do because they wanted him in and he was fighting with Paramount at the time because they were using his likeness in a lot of things and the little Mego figures and there was like toys and things that had his picture uh, character on on boxes and somewhere along the way he got wind that he wasn't getting paid residuals Ooh. and so he ended up suing Paramount and they were going to go to court and had this big battle and they, and they figured, well, now we're making the movie. And they said, well, we got to have Nimoy on board. You know, we got to have Spock. And he wasn't going to be in the original series. So they had another guy playing a Vulcan. And then he ends up getting bumped. And the part where they're on Epsilon line, there's a Vulcan there along with a woman. And they're yelling at Starfleet about the thing coming to kill all of them. And, of course, they get incinerated or mapped or whatever it was. And so he stayed, but he got bumped down and he was still in the movie. And so they worked out at the last minute and said, okay, you dropped a lawsuit. We'll do this. We'll give you residuals. We'll kiss and make up. But we need you in the movie. He says, fine, I'll be in the movie. Right. Then after that, he said, okay, I'm done now. I want to go. You know, but in the first five minutes of that movie, um, remember, Spock dies, right? Yeah. In The Wrath of Khan, he dies. At the end. Well, in the first five minutes as well. Oh, that's right. Remember? In the training situation. Because they tricked situation. you. Yes. Yeah. They started out like all of a sudden, you know, they, they opened the show with this person, you know, a crazy battle. Everybody's like dying right and left. It was the Kobayashi Maru. Right. Was the uh, was right. a distress call from the Kobayashi Maru. It's a big training test for Star Starfleet cadets. Am I geeking out here or what? Because this is what I remember. It's like all that kind of stuff. Very cool deal. That the uh, that the Kobayashi Maru was part of this Star Trek lore. Yep, and then you see, of course, you know he gets hit and he and he falls to the floor and dies, and everyone's like, "God, that was quick." Yeah, because <laughs> he really uh, really pissed off Paramount pretty bad. Yep, and of course they all come back up. And say, oh, it's a training situation. Oh, yeah. you buggers, you had yeah, us going. As soon as it's as soon as it's done and everybody dies, basically the the screen, you know, it parts and yep. there's all the. Basically, everybody walks in, you know, the admirals that were monitoring the whole uh, simulation, they all walk in and and basically say, uh, Spock, get up, you know. <laughs> yeah, and we, right got a, and, and we got a young Kirstie Alley out of it. Yeah. Because she played Savick, and then they had issues with pay or whatever, and they kicked her out, and then Robin Curtis came in and finished it off. Yeah. In the, in the last two. So, excellent show. Now, I got to tell you, I mean, jumping over into the Paramount stuff. Have you seen Strange New Worlds? Um, I saw the pilot. 
You did. Good. Yeah, I because I've watched all, I think, four episodes now, and it is really good. It is, you know, they've done a great job of capturing the original series. That's the one that, to me, is the most like it. They're out there having a great, uh, I, mean, I mean, they're out there with the adventure of the original. Yeah. You know, if I go back and I look at all of the other um, series that they came out of this, I mean, we're talking uh, Next Generation, uh, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, uh, what else? Enterprise, and I'm sure there's several others as well. This is the first one that I'm really like sicking my teeth into this thing going, this is the adventure of the original series. Yeah, one of the things I read that they wanted to do was they wanted to make it back as much as the original was. And one of the things they said was, well, you know, you were looking at like Discovery and uh, Picard. They do a whole arc for the entire season and then end with the climax. And with this, it's going back to the old school. It's the planet of the week. You know, one week they're over here solving a problem. Next week they're over there solving a problem. Uh -huh. And I thought that was a very good idea because that was one of the things that kind of captured it. It was always there's somewhere else, you know, figuring out stuff. The only thing I didn't like about it was there was a scene, I'm trying not to spoil it, but there was a scene where he's trying to explain to people on this planet saying, hey, you know, we're a lot like you. And he shows them video and says, this is what happened to us. And you start seeing stuff that looks like, well, this triggered World War III. And they start sneaking in video, and it was kind of anti-Trump. And they and there's this video, you'll see a picture of the gallows. where I'm sorry, is this is Strange New Worlds? Yeah, this is in Strange New Worlds. Hmm. And you remember the scenes you saw where somebody had a gallows with a noose that was outside uh, Congress or something during the, oh, yeah. the resurrection of yeah. January 6th? Yeah. So they're showing January 6th footage. And they're claiming this is where we started World War III and, yeah. and the bomb went off. And you see that all kind of go through. And I'm like, wow, you guys in, in Discovery, you made all the Klingons sound like Trump. Then you pull the, uh, was it uh, Abrams from Georgia who didn't get to be governor. So they turned around at the end of Discovery and made her president of Earth. She actually has a part in it. And now we're using Trump footage to make it look like, oh, it was because of Trump we started World War III. So I had a little bit of a problem with that. Huh. And so I'm kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to see the others. You're kind of giving me some hope. You know, <laughs> so. now I've got to go back and look at that first episode. I didn't either. I wasn't paying yeah, attention slow, to slow it. Slow it or, down. Oh, my. Slow yeah. it, it goes by quick. Slow it down. And somebody even mentioned it in some of the writing that uh -huh. uh, they had used the footage from the January yeah. 6th resurrection. Oh, you know, and there's parts of I, Ukraine, too. I don't mind him getting, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get back. All right. And uh, we're going to talk about that and other things as well. You're listening to Mick Williams' Cyberline, world's first Polytech talk show. We'll be right back. I'm Mick Williams, Cyberline with you, 844-RADIO-US, 844-RADIO-US, host 2020 at cyber-line.com. Facebook is facebook.com slash cyberline.net. And, of course, the ever loving Tweety at CyberlineUSA. Okay, getting a lot of people uh, hitting us up about how to listen to us in the show. Well, normally I'd have you go over to KELY, which is our affiliate in Nevada, 
uh, we've got word that we're not on there. And Classic Radio Theater is playing. So here's what you do. You go down to cyber-line.com. That's our website. Hit the archives. You will find a list of all the different places we are in podcasts and stuff, and you will see a link to USA Radio. And that should be the live feed that allows you to listen to us live when we're on. Of course, it's basically USA Radio Network 24-7, but we just happen to be on the network right now. And so you'll be able to do it from there. So go to cyber-line.com and click on archives, I believe it is, and you'll see a list of all the different ways to listen to us. And in there should be a USA Radio feed, and you click that on and you're able to listen to us live. So hopefully that'll work out. All right, so getting back to the whole Strange New Worlds thing. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, there's really some, the the neat things about Strange New Worlds is you're going back and you're looking, you're going, okay, I watched the original series, where are the similarities, where are the differences? Um, and there's like one reference in there that right now that I'm watching, I don't know if they're spoilers, I because it's, it's such a light thing, but you're watching Nurse Chapel, she's in this, mm-hmm. and you're watching her kind of look longingly at Spock. And, you know, there's a, from the original series, there is, she always had kind of a crush on Spock. Right. Well, they're showing kind of that crush starts here. So it's very early on in it. I don't know. I just, I like that reference. I picked up on it. Uh, are there other references in there? I know that they, they've had Samuel Kirk in there. Yeah, I was surprised they put that in there because I was trying to remember... Of course, he gets killed in the uh, the the original series, and I didn't know this. Do you know they mm. show the body when they're in the house? You know they they find his son, which is Kirk's nephew, and they show uh, Samuel Kirk lying on the floor dead. Are you talking about in the what was it the Operation Annihilation? Yeah, with the little the little flying pancakes or whatever they were. Well, you know they had that. You're right. I remember that episode, but also when uh, they re. Um, revived the whole thing with Chris Pine. Yeah. Is he was in there and he was a uh, first officer, I believe, on uh, the Enterprise uh, from, oh, well, with Commander Pike, you know, with Captain right. Pike. So that one that they did, and it was really a good, a well done show. Yeah, because well, they, re- well done they reimaged it. But what was funny, and I didn't realize all these years, there's a scene in the original Operation Annihilate where uh, Shatner as Kirk is kind of hunched down, you know, looking at the body of his, of his brother. And of course he's on his back and his eyes are closed. And the guy that's his brother has a mustache. Uh Well, to save money, it's William Shatner (laughs) with a mustache. Okay. I did not know that all these years I've watched that episode. I'm like, what? And they were, Talking about that because of the Samuel Kirk thing that popped up in Strange New Worlds. Uh-huh. And I'm like, he he doubled? I Wow. So they filmed him, you know, laying there dead with a mustache on. Then they go back to him in his in his Kirk shirt. And then everything went from there. I'm like, wow. That, so, was, some, that was some cheap theatrics. I got to tell you, the thing I liked most about, remember the series Enterprise with uh, Scott Bakula? Yeah. Okay. Just jumping back to that. That was an interesting, you know, it lasted, I think, five seasons. And towards the end, you know, it was like, are we going to keep it? We're going to cancel it and all that stuff. The last season of that series was the best season as far as I was concerned because they did so much crossover with the 
what would have been the original series. They explained yeah. so much of the original history before it got into the Kirk thing. I hope they do the same thing with Strange New Worlds. Well, we'll see how they do. All right, listen to McWilliams Cyberline, world's first Polytech talk show. We'll be right back. Going to start line with you, 844-RADIO-US, 844-RADIO-US, host2020 at cyber-line.com, facebook.com slash cyberline.net, and the ever-loving Tweety Cyberline USA. As I mentioned before, go to our website, www.cyber-line.com, where uh, you will be able to go over, I believe, to our archive page. Uh, if you don't get it there, just click around, you'll find it. But there's a whole list of all of the places you can listen to the podcast. And there's also a click on for USA Radio, which you can listen to live 24-7. And then you'll be able to hear us there, especially for you people living in Dallas, since uh, KBDT is no longer with us, and be able to catch us from there. Uh, K-E-L-Y in Nevada normally has us on. Uh, I don't know why. They may be at a race or something and shifting things. And I'll have to check with Wyatt later and see what's going on there. But anyway, that's the easiest way to find us. So, Bob, you said something about hydrogen's in play. Yeah, there's an article over at Engadget by Steve Dent. Toyota's prototype cartridge. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Is a way to make hydrogen portable. Mm. One of the myriad issues with hydrogen as a clean energy source is infrastructure. Uh, as it's very expensive to move around and store an extremely explosive gas. Toyota and its subsidiary, Woven Planet, believe that they may have found a solution with a new portable hydrogen cartridge prototype. The idea is that they can be filled up with a dedicated in a, at a dedicated facility, transported where needed, then returned when you receive your next shipment. Cartridges would be relatively small, about 16 inches long, 7 inches in diameter, and about they'd weigh about 11 pounds. Uh, Toyota calls them portable, affordable, and a convenient way energy uh, that makes it possible to bring hydrogen to where people live, work, and play without the use of pipes. Okay, let's back up a minute. You hmm. said that was 16 inches long. Yeah. And weighs 11 pounds. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> what? Too heavy or what? It's well, light? I've never heard of anything that small weighing 11 pounds. Well, you know, these things, it's not intended to... It, I actually looked online to do a couple calculations. One of the things in the article they mentioned, let me find it, says, okay, it's enough to uh, power, let's see, one hydrogen cartridge is assumed to generate enough electricity to operate a typical household microwave for approximately three to four hours. So I took the, you know, three and a half hours and went online to see how much energy that is for a 1200 watt um, microwave, and if you ran it for three and a half hours to three and a half to four hours, 
it's about five kilowatt hours of energy. So I'm also going through to look at how much my uh, I use at my house, and I use about 500 kilowatts per month. So that's not bad. You know, at least I'm I'm happy with that because I don't have to pay too much in electricity fees or anything like that. So if you've got typical uh, usage of about 500 kilowatts per month hours, and then you've also got a cartridge that does about five kilowatts. So you're going to have to, if you really wanted to power your house on this all the time, you'd have to have a hundred a month. A hundred cartridges. hundred cartridges a month. So is that good or bad? I don't know. It's what it's nice that I like about it is that first off, if you did have the need to power your house, you could actually get, you know, a number of them, try to get 10 of them. And then, so that's one, you know, that's part of, that's three days of your month. So you could power your house for three days on 10. And then you uh, basically, that right now, given all this stuff that they're talking about on the electric, um, all these electric grids are going to start doing uh, brownouts or they're rolling blackouts. Uh, I'm, we, I would love to have these cartridges because basically they look, oh, they're, they, they're cylinders and they're rounded on the edges. But what the difference kind of these with these is from propane tanks, you know, propane tanks, it's kind of a similar concept there. But the, you know, they're much narrower. They're, they're, cylinder, they're cylinders that are about the same height as a propane tank, but they're much skinnier. So you take those things, and the other thing about them is they've got a handle on top. It I didn't see the connection mechanism, but the way they showed it, they showed you sliding this thing into a uh, just a rack that would hold this. Yeah, so, it's kind of what I was thinking of, like maybe like uh, like a rack that you use for uh, a RAID system. Uh huh. Like so for a computer and very easy to put in, very easy to take out. You just put it in, you twist it. And then I believe that makes the connection. That was the part I wasn't sure about because I didn't really get to see how the connection was made. So it looks like you put it in something in a rack, you turn it to the right or left, and you make the connection. It uh, charges the whatever you're working on. And then you can go back, take it out. Um, once it's done, once you're empty, put a new one in there, and you're doing good. And if they do something smart, like put in two in the rack, you could put two of them in there at the same time. When one goes um, is out, then you have the other one in there. You take the first one out, replace it, so you always have um, hydrogen going into the the generation part. Right. So, and then hydrogen's cleaner because really, when you get into hydrogen and oxygen to make these uh, combustion, you're going to get water as the result. That's always been the big deal. Um, but it did say, I did see a reference. Let's see what the reference said. It is, let's see, humans, uh, the company is also working on, no. Ah, Toyota acknowledges that most, uh, the most hydrogen is made from fossil fuels. And so not exactly green. So I'm not sure what they mean about that, but, uh, but it thinks that it'll be uh, generated with low carbon emissions in the future and that the hydrogen cartridges, that the cartridges could help with some of the infrastructure. So I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong on the on the water being, I thought that that was going to be the byproduct of it. Well, that's my understanding what it was like because they'd have cars 
and the tailpipe water would come out mm -hmm. from the combustion. And, and, of course, if you're able to channel that water off and be able to use it for things like, you know, I don't know, you could use it for drinking process, but, you know, parts in the car maybe go back in for coolant or just, you know, finding a way to channel the byproducts. So you're just not wasting water from the from the combustion of the two combining. Right. But you should be able to find something to do with the water. You know, but they've made this easier. Um, they've made this much more like propane tanks. And you can yeah. go down and trade them out at, uh, you know, the, your local convenience store, your local department store, wherever they, you know, wherever they have those big, uh, you know, exchange places. So you could do something like that. You go get the new ones. It looks like they're a bit smaller, easier to carry. Um, you don't usually have to, um, seems like with the, it seems like with the propane tanks, those are always outside. Well, these don't typically look like they're going outside. They look more like they were something that you'd have inside the house and that were much cleaner. So if you kept it inside a unit inside the house, uh, you still got to question that because how could they keep that inside the house if it's got gas in there? You kind of want to keep it in the garage yeah, at the best. <laughs> hydrogen, even in a garage, I mean, that's more more bang than I think gasoline is. I mean, what, what uh, they used, was it hydrogen they used in the in the Hindenburg? Uh, yeah, they all was. switched over to helium? Yeah, that was the Yeah, the look how issue. that worked out. Well, the, the problem with the helium was that it, it was that you they couldn't get it in Germany. They didn't know how to right. refine it or where to get it, and um, they just had no access to helium. So that's why it was in hydrogen. Uh, whereas in, over in America, we had um, the you know we had the intellectual resources to know how to um, mine or whatever you have to do to get helium. Right, um, and then hydrogen, of course, is very flammable and stuff, so they'd have to find ways to make that a closed circuit and, and be able to make it easy to use. But at the same time, just like gasoline, I mean, it's easy to use. You just have to be careful with it so it doesn't catch fire. It's just that hydrogen is going to be a little bit more of a boom. Right, and remember this, too. They have this Toyota Mirai. Um, it's a fuel cell vehicle. And the biggest issue with it is that one was using, and maybe that's the difference here is uh, it must be a fuel cell versus. Yeah, most of the vehicles that they were working on, because fuel cells are the same things they're using the shuttle to mm -hmm. create power and, and everything as well. I think and a that's, lot of them are fuel cell vehicles. Yeah, I think that's where we get the water vapor from as opposed to, I guess this other setup is to a way to do combustion. But this, uh, the Toyota Mirai, um, it had big issues in California. They had big plans for it. It's a hydrogen uh, fuel cell vehicle, but they were having problems getting the hydrogen to the cars. Well, you know, if you can't run the hydro, if you can't run your cars, well, this might be a solution to that, you would think. Um, if they can bring out the cartridges or if you can keep some cartridges, spare cartridges around, maybe you'd be able to get somewhere when you needed to. Maybe also they could have a delivery service in order to get the hydrogen cartridges to your car. So, yeah, there's there's possibilities there. There's solutions. Yep. And I recall, I thought they were setting them up to where you just put water into them. And then the fuel cell, of course, would do its thing and water would come out the back pipe once everything was done. Well, I think, yeah. Uh, it's I, been a while since I looked at fuel cell, fuel right. cell vehicles, so. 
Well, anyway, so that's the deal on hydrogen. I hope that they get it. It'd be kind of nice to see something like that. Um, if they could use more uh, more of that and just make it to where you could uh, more easily change out your uh, either your car's uh, fuel or change out your uh, fuel in your house if you needed some back a pack of power supply, I think it'd be kind of nice. Say, so, um, saw another article just recently. Um, and that's from Reuters. Uh, didn't see who it was from, but uh, they're talking about uh, on the seventh Tuesday. Um, their uh, EU countries and EU lawmakers are set to agree on a common charging port for mobile phones, yeah, tablets, I, and headphones. I heard that today. So that'd be June seventh um, when they meet to discuss a proposal that has been fiercely criticized by Apple. And that's the deal. Is remember the uh, Apple has the Lightning port on there. Yeah. And I don't know. I just don't know where I stand on this thing. I like the idea of having a common port. Um, but, you know, Apple's its own company. They get to do what they want to do. Uh, on the other hand, you've got a country that's not real happy with having to have two different types of ports. I like to have the convenience of the engineering that everybody adheres to. Well, the problem, too, is that we've had so many different adapters over the course of the years since we had mobile phones. And at first, everything was proprietary. And then we started getting into USB and USB-C and micro and mini. And now we're at USB-C. And their problem is like, well, now all of these adapters don't work. And they end up in landfills. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they're all trying to come up with a standard. Now, my buddy Charles Abduck, when I was at uh, Chris Fincher's memorial service, we got to talking about the USB-C. And I was amazed. I didn't realize all of the stuff USB-C could do. And one of them, of course, is carrying video, like a miniature HDMI cable. Oh, yeah. And one of the specs was that they had in it said, well, you need to carry down so much data bits of video into this thing. And that's how you're able to use it along with an adapter and plug it into the back of your TV and your HDMI and work your notebook or, in my case, the little communicator I have, a little handheld. Right. Off a TV set. And it's just amazing now what they can do with the C. It is fantastic. And I've used, I've got a, uh, I bought a portable monitor. As a matter of fact, we uh, a few months back, we had yeah. it on. Yeah, yeah we had that. We good. brought it in. Now, here's the thing about that. You can't use every USB-C cable on this, you know, monitor to computer setup. Of course not. You have to have a USB cable that is, I, I, I think it's the latest version but how do you know that you've got the latest version? The only way you can really know is you plug it in. Does it work or does it not? Because um, I did use a couple different cables, and it wasn't working. So I had to get a specific cable. The one that came with it um, worked very well, worked effectively. I'm sure if I went on to uh, online, I could easily find what USB-C cable it is that I need to get. But it is kind of a surprise that not every USB cable a uh, USB-C cable is going to transfer that video. All in all, though, uh, between that and then, you know, they've also got these um, the souped-up cables that offer 240 watts of power on these cables. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of power. Fast charging. Yeah. It's not just fast charging, but being able to power all of your ports, you know, uh, that does power monitors. Um, when I was... I've got this little bitty, uh, it's a Chromebook, and it was able to power the monitor. 
And that's what gets kind of surprising is that, yes, I can power it externally, but I was able to power it as well just by running the power into the notebook and the power also went into that external monitor and it worked great. All in all, very bright monitor, very, uh, the video between the two, it was just like having, uh, you know, it was no different that, uh, for me than having a desktop and an extra monitor. So it's very powerful to be able to do something like this. I can take this small unit on a plane and watch it there. Uh, as far as the external monitor, you know, you really don't want to use that external monitor on a plane, but you would be able to take it to an, um, with you to a hotel or somewhere if you're uh, traveling on a business trip. Yep. And, it, and it's a good thing to have. All right. Uh, we'll come back in a little bit. You're listening to McQueen Sabler, world's first Polytech talk show. We'll be right back. Cyberline with you, 844-RADIO-US, 844-RADIO-US. Post 2020 at cyberdashline.com, facebook.com slash cyberlinenet, tweety at cyberlineusa. And uh, don't forget to go to cyberdashline.com where you can uh, find all the podcast links as well as the uh, 24-7 link to USA Radio, where you can listen to us live. And just realized, I forgot to mention, Amy Lynn, our social media arena over there, taking care of that for you as well. All right, Bob, what do you got? So there's an article um, talking about um, Sony and Sony's uh, Terushi Shimizu. Shim- it's um, yeah, him. He's a president and CEO of Sony. Uh, Sony Semiconductor. And uh, the quote from him is, we expect that still images will exceed the quality of single lens reflex cameras within the next few years. Um, Still images exceed the image quality of single lens, you know, reflex camera. Basically, we've talked about this before. And that is how the, when you buy a cell phone nowadays, you buy a cell phone for what? The camera. The camera. You don't buy it anymore for just a good phone. You're buying one of the best cameras that are out there. Now, granted, it does have other features on these phones that it's like are... the phone's a loss leader. Yeah. Yeah. The But all of these cameras now... Uh, I'm sorry. All of the phones now have multiple lenses on there. And the multiple lenses are really just different zoom ranges. So you've got one on there that's, you know, just normal. You may have one that's a wide range. You may have one that's a macro. Who knows? But the point is that um, some of them actually zoom in very far. So if you take your camera, the way your phone, and you use the camera portion on the phone, and you start zooming into an area and make it bigger and closer, closer up, closer up, closer up, you don't realize it, but you're switching between lenses. And as you get closer and closer to the uh, to that far-off image that's out there, that far-off person, and you're zooming in, you've switched from lens to lens to lens. And by the time you get, uh, you've zoomed in way closer, you've actually got a decent resolution on there. Whereas on these original phones that we used to have, you'd have 640 pixels, you know, 
by, uh, you know, just square or something like that. It was terrible resolution. Nowadays, the resolution is so good on these things. You're, you, why would you buy a single lens reflex camera? You've got these other, uh, all the lenses, all of the software that stitches this stuff together. The software is incredible nowadays because it can interpret a lot of the things that it thinks it sees. It may be a little blurry, but it will sharpen it for you. And then with the extra added uh, smarts or the hardware on there to do the extra lenses in there, you've got some really high-quality photos, it, whether it's night or day. And that's another thing that you do. Um, HDR, that's another little tricky thing that they do. And that is that they'll have the um, exposure that they will um, they will have the lens exposed at several different uh, speeds. So when they're when you're taking a camera view, you can actually have a nighttime shot that looks fantastic on these phones. And do the single lens reflex cameras have it? Yeah, they've got it built in now. But who, you know what are you going to do? You're going to carry around this huge, bulky single lens reflex camera if you're if that's your business, if that's what you have to do. But frankly, there's a lot of people that can just use their cell phones nowadays for their business. Yeah, I've been there, done that. You see a lot of these podcasts nowadays. What are they using? They're using their cell phones. They uh, open it up. They're transmitting. Basically, you can transmit live feeds out to wherever you want on your cell phone. I know, I know. I Maybe I'm getting a little bit too excited about this, but it's it's not bad. It's kind of cool. That you can do these, uh, you know, whether it's Facebook Live or one of the yeah. other services out there, you can do live feeds on these things and have such a good quality studio quality. Well, maybe not quite studio quality, but darn close. Yeah, a little extra equipment for audio and things would be there. It's fine. Okay, so uh, we're going to do a little local news, national news, depending on where you are, and uh, be able to pick us up in uh, the next shot. So uh, around the world via the Internet, Coast Coast via Satellite, and podcast, it's Nick Williams Cyberline. <laughs>